0: back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. Um, We we are currently studying the letter to the Hebrews and we have come to chapter 8. So uh, I've really enjoyed this study and um, the things that I'm learning and I hope that you're learning as well. So the last chapter we saw, chapter 7, was chock full of information, a lot of doctrine. In fact, this letter is very dense with doctrine. I would say all the way up to um, chapter 11, it's very doctrinally focused and it's done in a way that's from the perspective of a Hebrew. So obviously there's a Hebrew writing to Hebrew people and uh, you can, you can just sense all the cultural references throughout the Um, the letter which makes it very unique a very unique letter compared to the rest of the letters in the uh, new testament so one of the reasons why i enjoy studying it so and i'm enjoying this study so we saw a lot of good things so now we're gonna all those things we saw in verse in chapter seven were uh, about the lord jesus about the priesthood, about McKinseldeck, and it was really a contrast of those two priesthoods and establishing clearly the facts around uh, Jesus's ministry as a priest, as a high priest, and how that his priesthood had nothing to do with the ironic priesthood, only in the fact that Um, the Aaronic priesthood established what a true priesthood should be and how it should operate according to what God says. So in that sense, the Aaronic priesthood was very helpful because we learned about the requirements uh, for approaching God. So there's a lot of people that go around and call themselves priests and they have, um, they wear little collars that, um, Signify their priesthood, and um, that's fine. People can do that, but the only God-sanctioned priesthood are the, are the ones in the Bible, and that's the Aaronic priesthood and the priesthood of Mackenzildeck. Any other priesthood is just man-made. It's something that you know man just created. Um, and if you want to follow that, well, you go right ahead. But I'm gonna go with the Word of God. So, we have clear instruction on God sanctioned priesthood. And the only two that exist are the Aaronic priesthood that was set up through the Levitical priesthood through Aaron and Moses, and then the one that was to come to uh, fulfill the type of that priesthood in the Lord Jesus and all the work that he did. And that he accomplished. And so now in chapter 8, we're going to kind of sum up um, all those facts. And it basically starts off the, the chapter by doing that. So I'm going to read starting in verse 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens or in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is necessary that this man have somewhat also to offer for if he were on earth, he should not be a priest seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was as admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, uh, for see, saith he, that thou maketh all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So uh, this is uh, kind of the uh, conclusion that the writer has come to based on all the things that have been said before. That's why he starts off and says, this is the sum or the conclusion or uh, the sum total of all the facts that I presented to you. I would like to present this to you in the as a title for this. It's a love story. And I know that you could take uh, that title and you can apply it to anywhere in the Bible. But I have chosen since I had the pleasure of teaching this, to apply it here. And I hope that uh, I'm able to uh, bring out some of the things that will make you to see uh, that this is a love story, that the sum of all of this is a love story. So he says here that the sum of all that I'm saying, all that I've said about Jesus Uh, up to this point is this okay because remember uh, we're talking about jesus jesus the one that they knew that walked among them they knew his uh, relatives um, you know to them he truly was jesus Uh, to us the lord jesus christ Uh, we only know him uh, in his ascended glorified form, they knew him as Jesus. Um, and that's very significant to keep that in mind. And that this is the sum total of all that he's been saying about Jesus. So basically he's telling them in spite of everything that you're experiencing negatively as a result of your salvation, uh, all the things that you've lost connection to in the form of your culture, family and friends, the things that you have lost on earth. Cuz remember before here, before this time, all he's been talking about is heavenly things. The the things that we have in heaven and he's been pointing to heavenly things. And the reason being is that our treasure is no longer associated or our worship is no longer associated with anything on earth. That is the big transition that's happened from the old covenant to the new covenant. We now have heavenly promises. And so there's a disconnect that happens once that you're saved, particularly if you started off on the old covenant as a Hebrew Now that you're in the new covenant, as a Christian, there has been a disconnection from those past things. And the last lesson I talked about Paul and how that he made that point about himself. He says, I count all those things as loss for the uh, prize of gaining the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we've entered into. Those of us who are saved, we have gained heavenly things through the lord jesus so he's saying this is the sum of those things of all the things that you've lost this is what you have and it's very important for us to concentrate on not what we don't have not what other people have that we don't because when you do that you just go down a slippery slope that doesn't lead anywhere good we should be focusing on the things that we have and we do have some wonderful things. Now, I'm not advocating that you don't aspire and have goals and try to accomplish things. I mean, that's the purpose of life. God has given all of us a purpose and things that we need to accomplish. And if you're doing those things uh, for him and his service and to gain um Things so that you can uh, serve him better. uh, I'm all for it. Go for it. I mean, we need those. We need goals. We need to have a purpose and aspire to things. uh, But those things should never, ever be the focus of our life. Okay, the focus of our life lives should always be to serve him and to glorify God. And if we can gain. Uh, knowledge, if we can gain strength, if we can gain wisdom, if we can gain finances, if we can gain anything that helps us to glorify and worship him, then we should go after that. But these people, these Hebrew people were losing things, they lost quite a bit. and you know what if you serve the Lord Jesus with your life, you're liable to lose some things it's It's inevitable, right? He said, I didn't come here to bring people together. I came here to divide, Uh, you know, son against dad, mother against daughter. Um, The Lord Jesus divides because he sets a demarcation between right and wrong. And we live in a world that doesn't care about that. Right is whatever feels good to you. Whatever you want to do, whatever makes you happy, that's right. But the Lord Jesus said that uh, that's not the case. That you're either for me or you're against me. And that's going to cause, you'd have to draw a line. And you're going to lose some things uh, here on earth. It's inevitable. But we're to focus on what it is that we have gained. And that's what the writer here in Hebrews is trying to convey to these Hebrew believers. Let's look at what we have. So what is it that we have? Okay. Uh, He starts off uh, in verse one. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. That's what we have. All of us who are saved, we have that. Well, what does that mean? You know, what is the value of having that? I think that's what we really need to stop and look at and meditate about. Like, okay, we have it, but why is that? Where's the value in that? Well, first of all, we have to believe that we have that. That comes from faith. Faith tells us that this is what we have. Next, we have to understand that it's something that we have right now. Now, we have been placed in Christ. We have um, the promise of a heavenly calling. Um, A lot of people, they call it the sweet by and by. We have a future in Christ in heaven. That's what that's our hope. And that's what should encourage us to um, pursue holiness, to pursue righteousness, to pursue Christ. And like uh, Paul said, the gain that is in Christ to gain Christ, we should be pursuing Christ because of that hope, because we know that there are um, consequences for not serving him. And there are rewards when we do serve it. So that's the hope. That's the hope that drives us. But this is something, that's something that we have in our future. But this is something that we have right now. This is something that we can hold on to this very moment. In the face of whatever you've lost, whatever trial you might be going through, whatever heaviness. That may be bearing down on your soul, on your life. Um, it doesn't matter. I mean, um, it's common. We all are experiencing some degree of that. That's why I can say this with confidence, because I know you're experiencing something. Uh, every believer does. It's part of the life that we're that we're living. So, how do you, how do you continue on in hope? with these heavy things bearing down on us? Well, you do it because you hold on to what we have right this minute. So what is it that we have right this moment? We have such a high priest, okay? So that's something that we have. We have this high priest and this high priest is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that we have right now this high priest, it's not that we will have or we had in the past, this is we have. That speaks of a constant possession. And that looks back to Hebrews 7:16, that eternal life that our high priest has established his priesthood on an eternal life. That means we always have it. We, we have it now, we're gonna have it tomorrow, we will have it for eternity. But this is something we have access to right now this is our connection to heaven to the heavenly things that await us so that's something that we need to kind of meditate on meditate on and think about because we can it could get lost in the trials of this life and you know the things that are pressing upon us we can lose sight of the fact that we have this and i want to encourage you and exhort you to meditate upon the fact of what you have and to think about and keep that before you keep that in front of you so that nothing can be seen in your life. No trial, no person, no uh, accomplishment, no failure. Nothing should be seen apart from the fact that we have this it should All that we have around us should be filtered through this one thing that we have this high priest. So let's see what's so special about this high priest. This high priest is not like any other high priest because this high priest, in contrast to the Levitical high priest, which remember, that's what we're talking about. We're contrasting here, uh, the Lord Jesus and his better ministry, the better things we have in Jesus over the worship that was a part of the old covenant. So we have this better high priest. And what makes him better? Well, it says that who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. So first of all, he is set on the right hand, meaning he's unmovable. This is not a position that will waver. This is a place that he is and that he will always be. No one can move him from his spot. And so therefore, no one can move us from what we have. Think about that. What we have is so integrated, so a part of who in the position that Jesus is in, that it is, it's set just like he said. So that's a comfort in and of itself. So what we have is, is set. It cannot be moved because it is tied directly to our high priest and his ministry on our behalf. Next, we see that who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty. So what does that mean? So the right hand speaks of power. And when you're talking about the throne of the father, the throne of God, That is all power. All power comes from God. He has all power in him. And now we see that our high priest is in this position of power. So we have an advocate, a high priest who is unmovable that we cannot be moved away from or out of his presence. Um, who has all power. So I don't know what trial you're going through or what might make you afraid, but remember this, nothing can come to you that is not filtered through his ministry, his high priestly ministry on your behalf. And he has all power. So he's at the right hand of the throne of majesty. So what does that mean? A throne of majesty. It's not like you can walk down the street and see a throne of majesty. In fact, I can say with confidence that no one that is hearing my voice has ever seen the throne of majesty. So we don't really have a lot to compare or to um, to really understand and know what the throne of majesty is. The only way we can know the throne of majesty and what it is and its extent is through the revelation that comes from God because it's his throne, he created it and it is in the heavens. So how do we understand this throne of majesty? So we understand the word majesty, we, the grandeur, the uh, awe-inspiring uh, majesty of God. We can know something of that from his word, from our experience with him through our worship. The closer we draw to him, the more we understand and perceive his majesty, his perfections. But still, that's just doesn't really do it justice. So let's go to the word of God so that we can see where the Lord has revealed this throne to us. Believe it or not. He's painted a picture of it in his word. Um, And just to briefly give you a kind of an understanding of how that's been done. uh, First, we see in um, Revelation where it talks about the throne room of God. It reveals uh, John saw the throne room of God. He was so overwhelmed by it that he fell down to worship the angel that was revealing this to him. Because that's how majestic and overwhelming uh, the throne room of God is. Uh, But the angel said, hey, don't worship me. I serve him just like you do. So one of the things that is revealed there is that around the throne uh, is 24 smaller thrones where there are 24 elders, right? And each one of these elders represents mankind. Uh, I don't know this. It doesn't say specifically who these elders are, but it can certainly be inferred from scripture. And there's people that are uh, more knowledgeable than I am that agree that those 12, 24 elders are the 12 tribes of Israel, those 12 sons and the 12 apostles. So I, I like that. Uh, like I said, I can't say dogma- dogmatically that that's who they are because it doesn't say. But it certainly makes sense once you put all the scriptures together It that could easily be supported. So I feel confident telling you that, you know, I believe that that's who it is. So you got these 24 elders and uh, they represent uh, the uh, Old Covenant as well as the New Testament. And then you have also four living creatures, these angels, uh, you know, living creatures that uh, are described pretty um, in depth uh, in scripture. And these angels surround um, the throne of God and they're there. We also know that there's this great sea of glass that is before the throne, right? And there's also Uh, the what we would consider the building blocks of heaven is gold, like this pure gold that's transparent. Not like the gold we have on earth, but transparent and pure. And all of this is illuminated by the glory of God that comes from this throne. So the Lord Jesus' own glory and presence illuminates everything that's, um, you know, around this throne. So that tells us a little bit that paints somewhat of a picture of the majesty that's associated with this, uh, this throne that, uh, our high priest sits upon. And that, that in and of itself is pretty amazing because high priests don't sit down. There is, uh, the high priest from the ironic priesthood they didn't sit down they had a little um rope with a bunch of bells on it tied to their ankle because they went in and they ministered on behalf of the people so they had to be constantly moving and they heard their little ding 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 so they knew that god didn't kill them for coming in there and he accepted their um that they performed the ritual or the ordinance according to The way God told them, because if they did not then he would definitely strike them dead. So they would hear that little tingling because he was always moving around. You know, there was no seat in there. There's no seat in the holy place or the holy of holies. So there's no sitting down because the work was never done. It was never complete. But our high priest. His work is done. His work is completed. The 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 sacrifice, the offering that needs to be made to establish him as a high priest on our behalf, that's done. Now he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. So uh, he can sit down because his work is completed. So that's something that we have. That's something that the Hebrew believers had And that's something that we all should kind of hang our um, hopes in our heart on what we have in this high priest. Um, But it's interesting. We talk about all this majesty and the glory associated with the Lord Jesus in his role as high priest. But I find it interesting in verse two that, you know, if that was, if this, if a man wrote the Bible, they would not describe themselves in such humble terms. But here we see in verse two, um, how the Lord Jesus describes himself in his high priestly ministry. Verse two, it says, a minister of the sanctuary. After, you know, all this majesty we talked about and all this uh, worship and how these elders and these living creatures they live to praise and worship him that's what they do the living creatures it says in revelations all they do is say holy 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 is our god they proclaim his holiness that's all they do that's their purpose and the 24 elders it shows us there how they, they bow down and they worship him so you would think that wow you know he would describe himself in grandiose terms but he doesn't in verse 2 it says that he describes himself as a minister of the sanctuary that's what he says he is Jesus the exalted servant that's what he is that's who he is Um, that's who he is for us he's a minister on our behalf he's still ministering on our behalf that ministry is eternal. It has not stopped. So whatever you're facing, whatever trial you might be facing, know that he's ministering on your behalf. He's there for you. Reach out to him, call out to him and avail yourself of this high priest that we have, this high priest that's at the right hand of the throne of majesty. So uh, he's uh it says he's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. Uh, I find this really interesting um, that he's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. So the sanctuary here is a reference to the that part of the tabernacle that was considered the holy place. And then there's the holy of holies. Only the Levitical priests could go into the holy place And only the high priest that was chosen one person, one priest chosen uh, once a year could go in on behalf of the people into the Holy of Holies. And all the people were outside of that. They couldn't come in there. They couldn't come near to God. That's as close as they could get was outside. And outside was a brazen altar because sin had to be dealt with before man could enter into the presence of God and um, that's why that brazen altar was out there. It was a reminder of um, the sin problem, the sin that divides us and kept us away from uh, God. Um, and so here we see the Lord Jesus is a minister of the sanctuary. So not the sanctuary on earth, but the the sanctuary in heaven. That is what his throne room is called it's a sanctuary and he ministers there on our behalf in that sanctuary and he says of the true tabernacle so the tabernacle that's on earth was not the true tabernacle it was a picture of the true tabernacle and um, it's really interesting when you study this and see that the true tabernacle was really the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, The Aaronic tabernacle was given and it was made so that uh, man would have access to God. Um, God led them through the wilderness and the tabernacle was how they interacted with God the presence of God would rest in the Holy of Holies in the form of what's called the Shekinah glory and that's when they had when they wanted to ask God a question or interact with God and find out if they should do this or that they went to the tabernacle because that's where that was the the bridge between sinful man and a holy God that was the only way we could have access. Him was through this tabernacle. But that was just a type. It seems that based on what's being said here, the Lord Jesus is the fulfillment of that type. He is the true tabernacle. So, how is that the case? How do we know that Jesus is a true tabernacle? And what does that mean? What's the extent of that? um, in comparison to the, um, tabernacle that the Levitical priesthood utilized to access, um, God. So let's take a look at that. Let's make a comparison. Now you can study this. There's been a lot of study done on the types, uh, throughout the old Testament and in scripture. Um, and it's a really, really nice study. It's something to really, uh, just enjoy if you like, Uh, types. Uh, I do. I love seeing how that the Lord has foreshadowed uh, things in, in the old Testament. And now we see the fulfillment of those things, but I'm just going to touch on a few of the, the kind of the ones that stick out for me when I think about Jesus as the true tabernacle. So think about the, you got to think about what the tabernacle was. It was just a tent uh, basically they would take it down when it was time to move. They would put it back up when they were, uh, stationary somewhere. And, uh, so it was basically just a tent is all it was. Now it was elaborate. It was made according to a very specific, uh, measurements and, uh, the things that were used to make up this tent were in the way that they were put together. Uh, God was very specific about because that type was going to reflect things about the Lord Jesus and who he is in his person and his ministry. And God takes types very seriously. You know, you think about back when Moses uh, struck that rock, uh, God told him just to tell the rock to, to, um, I had to speak to the rock and the water would have come out, but he was angry and he struck the rock and he ruined the type, right? So in doing that, it cost him uh, not being able to enter into the land and enjoy that, uh, that blessing uh, with the people. So God is very serious about these types. And so we should uh, not take them lightly. So let's look at uh, some ways that the, the earthly tabernacle parallels the Jesus as a fulfillment of the, uh, the tabernacle proper. So number one, the tabernacle was very ornate on the inside. If you went inside, it was very ornate. It had several coverings and they were beautiful. But on the outside, the last coverings were animal skins. So if you were looking at it from the outside, it would just look like a tent covered with animal skins it didn't it was not much to look at right it wasn't attractive there was nothing about it that people would say wow that's a tabernacle that's awesome no they would just see it as this animal skin covered tent uh amongst all these other people's tents but we see that that in and of itself is also um a characteristic of the lord jesus so um, in Isaiah 53 and I might as well hang out in Isaiah because um, there's a lot said about the Lord Jesus in Isaiah uh, if you haven't studied Isaiah particularly um, the, the things that are in there about the Lord Jesus then I would encourage you to do that you will enjoy it immensely um, there's so much about him in Isaiah and the way that it's presented is beautiful So Isaiah 53 and verse two, it says, speaking of the Lord Jesus, the the one that's to come, the one that was prophesied, that would be the Messiah. It says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, no beauty that we should desire him. So what does that mean? That means that in his appearance, he was very plain. You know, people try to do these paintings and, you know, they try to make him, you know, so, you know, handsome or beautiful. Jesus was just very plain, just like this tabernacle was on the outside, because the beauty and the glory and the power and the majesty was inside the deity that was veiled by human flesh. So in that sense, we see, you know, that the tabernacle prophesied and was a type of the Lord Jesus. And then we also know that inside the holy place, there was a table of showbread. Now, how's that significant? Well, there's this table and it had these loaves of bread that they put out and they had to change it out periodically and that bread represented the body of Christ. They represented who who he was and who he is in his flesh and in his uh his ministry here on earth as a type of the, a fulfillment of the, the tabernacle. In John chapter 6 he said it himself, you know. He He made that uh, very clear. Let me turn there. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, in verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So there we see this, this table of showbread was a picture or type of the Lord Jesus in his ministry as a true tabernacle. And the thing that really sends that home, if there's any doubt that maybe that's a stretch, and you know, that's a stretch that you make that connection, the bread that was on that table was pierced. That was part of what that bread it had to be pierced. So, if there is any doubt in your mind that that connection was not valid, then that should settle that, right? So next we're going to see another um, aspect of the tabernacle, the one that they traveled through the wilderness with, and how it relates to the Lord Jesus. Um, there was a lampstand in the holy place. There was a that's the light that. That, they, that lit up the, the place. It was a lampstand and um, and it lit the uh, holy place. Now this lampstand should be very familiar to people because the whole um, uh, holiday of Hanukkah is based on the fact that they didn't have enough oil to keep the lamps lit, but miraculously the Lord uh, made for those the oil to last and to be replenished so that the lamps never went out. So that's why they have the Hanukkah celebration. So that lampstand is an integral part of Jewish uh, worship and understanding, just like the tabernacle. So how is it that the Lord Jesus fulfilled that? Well, let's go to John chapter eight and see what he says about that uh, himself. Uh, John, the gospel of John I'm turning there now, bear with me, chapter eight. Um, And it says in verse 12, he says, then spake Jesus again unto them saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but but shall have the light of life. So here we see the Lord, you know, establishing all these things. Now these people knew what he was talking about. It it wasn't that they didn't understand that he was referring to these uh, aspects of the tabernacle. They knew exactly what he meant when he said these things and what he was referring to. Now, we know in retrospect, because now that we have the word of God and we can study and learn, uh, we can be blessed to know these things as well. But when he was saying these things, they knew exactly what he was saying and what he was referring to. And it's very clear that Jesus um, is a true tabernacle when you look at it from that perspective. And these Hebrew believers needed to see that because of the transition that was happening from the old covenant to the new covenant, they needed to see how that this was the purpose, the will, and the intent of God from the very beginning. And that's what we need to see. We need to understand that whatever we're going through, whatever trials that we're facing, uh, whatever challenges, that that's the intent and will of God for your life. And there's a purpose and there's a reason for it. And I know that it's hard. I know that it's challenging. But it's not that we don't have the ability to bear under these things. It's that we lose sight of the gifts of the blessings and the helps that the Lord has given us to bear under these things. One of them is what you're doing right now. You're listening and you're studying the word of God. That is a major source of strength and comfort because in doing that, you're gonna get your eyes on him and not on the situation, right? That's what's happening right now and you're opening yourself up to receive the blessing the strength the refreshing the renewing like the uh mounting up on the wings of eagles you're opening up yourself for that through the ministry of the word of god and god the holy spirit ministering his truth and applying it to you and your situation um That's what we need. That's why we need to stay in the word of God. That's why I need to study. That's why you need to study. That's why we need to worship together. And we need that. It's very important. And so we see here um, how that the Lord Jesus is definitely um, the true tabernacle. Um, Think about the tabernacle and what its purpose was to the nation Israel. It was a connection to God. The tabernacle was their connection to God. The tabernacle was the very presence of God in the camp. That was God's presence. Remember, the they were led by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day, and that pillar of smoke would rest over the Holy of Holies. That was God's presence there. Um, they didn't have any weapons. They weren't warriors and they're traveling millions of them with their families through this wilderness. They didn't know where they were going and, and how to get there. They had to follow the God to, as he led them. And so that was a comfort to them to have this tabernacle and to see the presence of God. The tabernacle was also their access to God. And you can make all of these same applications to the Lord Jesus. In his ministry to us. He's our connection to God. He's uh, the He represents the very presence of God in our life. You know, we have him. This is what we have. And we cannot be separated from him by anything. Um, and also, the Lord Jesus is our access to God. Apart from the Lord Jesus, no one can know the Father. He established that very clearly. So the thing about the Old Testament uh, and the tabernacle as the, the earthly tabernacle that makes it different from the true tabernacle is that back then access was regulated, it was restricted, and it was restrained. Think about that. It was regulated, restricted, and restrained. That's that access to God. So... um now we have this um we have this tabernacle that was which the Lord pitched, you know. People didn't put this tent up. The Lord made a body for himself. And it says the Lord pitched in verse 2 and not man. Now, it's really important to understand and I'm not going to go into it right now, but there's a uh very sweet reference to the fact that the Lord Jesus was given a body by the father, um, on our behalf. And, uh, I'm going to go into that at a later time, but, but yeah, he, Jesus was given a body for us. That's why he was given that tent, um, that, uh, that's what he calls it a tent, a tabernacle uh, that's what a that's what a tabernacle is It's just a tent and he was given that tent for us so that he could accomplish the ministry of a high priest in verse three for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices Wherefore it is necessary that this man have someone also to offer. So if he if Jesus is really a high priest he has to have something to offer. That was established through the Aaronic uh, priesthood that if you're going to be a high priest, the priest, high priest before he went in, he offered for himself and also on behalf of the people. That's what priests do. And so if Jesus is a high priest, then he was going to have to have something to offer as well. That's basically all he's saying. In verse four, for if we on earth, for if he were on earth, excuse me, for if he were on earth, he should not be a priest seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. So if Jesus were still on earth, then he could not be in this role of a priest. So his priesthood began in his death. That's when his priesthood, that's when he entered into this high priestly role is when it happened when, after he died because while he was on earth, he wasn't a priest. He wasn't associated with a priesthood. He was in the tribe of Judah. The only priesthood he was associated with was McKinzeldeck's priesthood. And he did not enter into that priesthood, although it was ordained in the past. It was established by the, the oath. He didn't enter into that ministry until he offered himself. Because it says, uh, you know, a priest offered gifts according to the law. So he had to offer something according to the law. And the something that he offered was himself. The greatest offering that could ever be made the true lamb, all of those other lambs that were offered prior to him, they're just pictures. He was the true lamb. He is the true lamb of God to take away the sin of the people. In verse five, it talks about the um, Levitical priests who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. It says, those priests, they offer things according to the law and they served unto the example of and shadow of heavenly things. So the, and it says, let me, I'll go ahead and finish. It says that they, uh, who served the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern show to thee in the mount. So um, those were just a pattern of the true um uh, sanctuary, the throne of God that we saw earlier here in this chapter, the tabernacle on earth and the worship on earth was just a picture, a shadow of the, what really is, what really exists in heaven. So we get to see kind of a shadow of those things. And that's all that was. And he's, and the writer is making a point to support the reason why there's been a transition and but those things had to be made a certain way because they are a shadow of heavenly things and so we can't just worship God and approach him any way we want we have to approach him according to the way that he is prescribed and that's through the ministry of the Lord Jesus so the writer is sending this message home that the old covenant was just a shadow it had no substance It was never intended to be anything but a picture of the things that are the genuine things that are in heaven. Uh, Moses was warned to follow the pattern that was given to him exactly because it was a shadow of real things. The real things that we have in the Lord Jesus, uh, the heavenly things that we've been called to. So what does all this mean? How is this a love story? Right. I promised you a love story. And so now I have to deliver on that. Um, Certainly we can see a lot of the love of the Lord Jesus in his ministry and his work on our behalf, right? Uh, As a um, high priest, but I want to take it a little further. So here's the love story. God loved Adam In the beginning, when he created him, we saw that uh, in Genesis. God loved Adam, and Adam loved God. And Adam could not fellowship with God and enjoy the love of God perfectly because of the weakness of the flesh. God is perfect, exalted, has all these perfections. Adam was made of flesh and blood. So there was a limit to The experience that Adam could have of the love of God, right? Because of this being earthly, just like this tabernacle, it's just a shadow. It can't fulfill the things that are in heaven. It can't represent it completely. So in the same way, uh, Adam being made of flesh, he could only enjoy God to a certain extent. So God gave Adam purpose. To bring him closer to experiencing the love of God, he gave Adam purpose and her name was Eve. And so once he received Eve, he became more complete and he could experience the two of them together, could experience a love close as humanly possible close as they could become to the the love of God, that love that is God, right? It took both of them together becoming one to come close to that. But still, they were way, way away. There was still a big chasm between the love that they experienced and the love that was available to them in the person of God. So we call that or it's described in the scripture as agapeo. That's the highest expression of love, right? So they couldn't, they still couldn't really experience that. So then sin was manifested and polluted man. And sin separated uh, the man and the woman from the love of God completely, right? Um, God still loved them, but they no longer love God. That's what happened. So now there's a complete separation and there's no way that they can ever enjoy the love of God because of sin. It separates man from God. It creates enmity between God and man. So the tabernacle was as close as man could get to that form of fellowship and love, but it was still far off. The, the tabernacle was a gift given to mankind so that man could draw near to God and experience some of that love that sin robbed us of so Jesus became the true tabernacle by the means of being of uh, being our high priest he has mended the separation that occurred in the garden once and for all now he's made all that the father has given him his bride. Why did he make us, why does he call the church his bride? Because now we can like a bride who's waiting on her, um, groom. We can enter into that relationship fully. Now it's a fulfillment of that love. We have an expectation now of enjoying the love that was in, originally intended for us to have in the Adam and Eve relationship. That's why the husband and wife relationship is so important that it should be so valued and precious because it's the closest we get to the love of God. It takes the man and the woman together becoming one. And then we, we can access a level of, of love that's in God that we can't access any other way. So that's what Jesus has done for us. us. He's become a conduit and a vessel of this highest, purest form of love that exists. And he's given that to all of us who are saved. That's what we have. We have such a high priest and we cannot be separated from that. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, know that nothing can separate you from that love and that you have it. We have it. I have it. You have it. We have access to that for eternity. And that should encourage us and build us up. And we should be rejoicing in that. That's why it says in the earlier part of Hebrews, quench not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the conduit for the expression of that love that we can walk in and we can have our being and we can enjoy in this life. The Holy Spirit is the earnest of the things that are to come. One day there'll be no sin at all to encumber us and to keep us from the pure unadulterated love that flows from that throne, that majesty that's what we have before us. But we also have access to that now. And we need to utilize that and take advantage of it because it'll strengthen us and it'll make us to uh, keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus and who he is as our uh, high priest. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and stop there. Um, Plenty of good things for us to meditate on. And I pray that uh, that's what you'll be doing, that this uh, lesson will encourage you and strengthen you and strengthen us together as we wait for our uh, groom to uh, bring us into his chamber. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, all that he is for us, all that he's accomplished for us and is accomplishing for us. I pray, Father, that you would make us to appreciate that as much as we possibly can, that we would grow in that uh, by your grace, and that we would uh, reflect that love uh, in the worship, in the service on your behalf. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.